Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rose, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What you doing down here, you shawnee man? <laughs> Hello, 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 Owen and Ken here with the Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Ken, how are you? Good, Owen, how are you? Wait, are you, you all right? I'm fine, yeah, well, It's good. Bye. No, just... I'm just saying hello to our beloved... I, I'm just so... I'm happy, Ken, that it's Thursday, July 30th. Yeah. And our beloved listeners have stuck with us right through a summer of... A pretty fallow football summer, Ken. No Euros. Fair play to them, I have to say. They're desperate, to desperate any, for football To content. anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, I just want to say a very personal <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, yeah, no World Cup either, of course. These these years, with these odd-numbered years, are, are always tricky. But the start of the major football leagues is just around the corner. How can we be sure? Because Josie Mourinho is acting the maggot. Yeah, he's already had his obligatory dig at Arsene Wenger before turning his sights on another old enemy, or the wife of another old enemy, it should be should be noted. Rafael Benitez's wife joked that her husband was tidying up at uh, his current club, Real Madrid, after another Mourinho mess. And now the lady's a bit confused, says Josie Mourinho. Uh, her husband went to Chelsea to replace Roberto Di Matteo. He went to Real Madrid and replaced Carlo Ancelotti. In other words, there was no mess of mind to clean up at either of those clubs. The only club where her husband actually replaced me was at Inter Milan where in six months he destroyed the best team in Europe at the time he also said that if Benitez's wife focused on taking care of her husband's diet then she will not have any more time to talk about me isn't that a bit uh, Billy Joe Saunders from Jose Mourinho yeah it's actually pretty uh, disgusting I mean but we're so used to it from Mourinho now that on the one hand Rafa's fat on the other hand his wife should be should be uh, making them healthy, healthy in there food. cooking and cleaning is, and doing doing all of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I just think that's crazy. From uh, Mourinho, it's just him being absolute. I mean, it's just his desperation to. Uh, he just can't let anything go. I mean, to put it in context, uh, Rafael Benitez's wife is doing like an interview at one of these Spanish lifestyle magazines. I don't it may have been hello hola, you know, or um, some equivalent thing because she's now. The wife of the Real Madrid manager, so uh, the the first lady of Real Madrid, you know, so she becomes this kind of person that all these celebrity magazines want to talk to, and uh, whether she should do any of these interviews or not, I'm not sure. I haven't seen her do these type of interviews before. Um, there was something about watches years and years ago. She used to buy Rafa a watch every time he won a trophy. She's probably watching. 
in a while, I suppose now. But um, you know, I don't I haven't. It's not like she's got a real high profile. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, like Nancy Delolio or one of these types of um, you know football manager um, partners. Um, so she does this interview, and they're asking him. They, they they ask her rather about this, and she gives a you know the best little sort of answer she can think of off the top of her head, which I suppose is a little bit negative. We clean up his messes, <laughs> but it's just such a non. It's just such a minor ripple in the sort of ocean of Jose Mourinho's world, and yet it sends him into the, it. It prompts this response from him. I mean, it's, he's insane. He really... The man is insane. He really hates Rafa Benitez. More so, it seems, than any other manager. Stemming from the old Chelsea-Liverpool games, I don't know. Uh, a lot's gone on since then. You're the fat, two. though. Like, it's just yeah. so... It's like literally a six-year-old should know not to do that. You know what I mean? If if you were six years old, you should know that that's not something that you should, you should say. Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho is fifty two, oh, and he's still he, he's like calling people fat. I mean, I just think it's, I think it's nuts, is what it is. It's I mean, it's obviously bad, but I I think it's 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 not that it, it shows Mourinho is not a nice person. It shows that he's crazy. Well, is that a good place to start the season? Chelsea's crazy manager. Let's see if he can cling on for one more year. Please get into your report on sport. Okay, so um, Chelsea obviously managed by Mourinho. They're the, the champions. Everybody else was terrible last season. Maybe this season somebody else will be good. Maybe Arsenal will be good this season. Maybe there'll be a challenge to them. Maybe Manchester City, inspired by Raheem Sterling. Maybe even Manchester United, having purged themselves of Angel Di Maria and David De Gea, will come back much stronger. And uh, and really challenge Chelsea for the for the title. I'm not sure. And um, one way or the other, a lot of Chelsea's um, hopes of winning the championship are bound up with uh, the health and the form of Diego Costa. The uh, temperament, you would say, of Diego Costa, probably. Just making sure he can stay on the right side of that uh, <laughs> that thin line that he straddles. Yeah. Look, you know, he's a. You know, he's one of these guys, isn't he? He's one of these kind of Jose Mourinho type guys. And and his, he's got a uh, an autobiography, uh, which has come out today. Well, it's a, I don't know if it's an autobiography or biography. I've, I'm, I've, I'm supposed to get a copy of it, but I haven't got it yet. Um, the Art of War. It looks called. pretty authorised at, at the minimum because you see a big, or else there are going to be some issues there, image rights-wise, I would think. A very big mm. Diego Costa. It's it certainly presented as his book. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's kind of an authorised uh, biography. There seems to be lots of people uh, who he talks to. I mean, um, and I've only seen so a few of these kind of little uh, excerpts and so on, which have appeared, uh, which included the not really that surprising information that Diego Costa killed his own dog. What? Yeah, he did. Uh, I mean, he killed the dog by accident, but you know. Oh. Shouldn't you know where your dog is? You there? You're about to reverse away. You're about to reverse down your driveway. You think to yourself, where's, you know, Toby? He's usually yap- yapping around the car at this point. Um, you know, he usually is sort of saying goodbye to me, but, you know, he doesn't seem to be anywhere. Well, I better reverse anyway. And then he, oh, it didn't work out. Um, I know, know, it was a little bit. I was worried. I thought when you talked about Kevin Dog, I thought you were talking Frank Underwood style. Yeah. Well, look, this is only... Was it, cards. We only have Diego Costa's word for how it happened. Um... As far as I know, he was the only witness. Uh, but you know, this the, it, it sort of talks about his youthful japes and all this kind of stuff. Um, 
For instance, uh, Vicente Ferre de la Rosa, administrator at Albacete, uh, on a complaint from one of Diego Costa's neighbours. On one occasion, uh, Costa and his friends had a porn movie blaring out. The poor woman came down to tell them to turn the volume down. This is a neighbour. Um, What's the matter? Don't you like making love? A wide-eyed Costa asked her sweetly. You can imagine what a tender moment that was. Uh, the uh, Diego Costa and the and the neighbor who was annoyed uh, with him. Um, there's you know there's various sort of stories. You know, he, apparently he'd be the kind of guy who would uh, who would sort of pull a pillow or he he'd kidnap the doctor or whatever. You know the way you sometimes read about the Irish rugby team and what they do to Rala. Oh yeah, Kitman. And they would they're always like picking up Rala and bundling him up and packing him into a box or something and. And then putting him in a cupboard and nobody hears from him for three days or whatever. Yeah, or they'll... Uh, a, a real classic Rala gag is that they um, tie him up to one of those, you, you know what bellboys use in hotels to push around big loads of uh, suitcases, these sort of... Uh, Pal- like a pallet truck? Almost like a pallet truck. Type. So they'll tie him to one of those and ro- put him in an elevator roll them out into reception or something like that and then they'll run back upstairs. <laughs> Anything to keep the boredom at bay again. Yeah. I wonder, does it happen as much these days now that all the hotels all have broadband? You know what I mean? Does that, does that kind of stuff still happen as much? As it? Diego Ross is very much into that sort of thing. Um, he, Whether it be pulling a pillowcase over the doctor's head and dragging him away as though he was kidnapping him. Mm-hmm. Whether it be hiding in a big pile of grass. Whether it be pouring soap powder into the fountain. Oh. Whether, whether it be uh, locking... The coaching staff into the sauna. Uh, that's, well, that's potentially dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it, it is. You don't want to be in a sauna for too long. Um, but, you know, that's... Uh, that's. I should say, though, he also... Um, he also uh, stands up for his... Uh, this is one thing I have to say I, I did like about him. Um, at Albacete, one of these Spanish clubs with dodgy finances, where they, they make a decision one week, they're like, oh, you know, we don't have enough money. Therefore... We have to pay the players, but the staff are not going to get paid. Diego Costa um, essentially led a strike against this and demanded that everybody got paid. Wouldn't uh, have any dealings anymore with the uh, club hierarchy until they, you know, paid the kit man and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there was some sign there of a uh, of kind of a functioning, um, you know, social intelligence, which is good to see. Yeah. Um, amidst all the, the other evidence... Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'll, I'm sure I'll have a read of that and see if there's anything more interesting in it. But um, that sounds pretty good. Uh, for the time being, on where are we? Um, you want to talk about going on a FIFA Platini? Platini has has, has um, said that he is going to run for the uh, FIFA presidency, which doesn't really come as much of a surprise to anyone. Um, uh, and he's been criticised by everybody else. Uh, Prince Ali, remember Prince Ali, the singularly unimpressive candidate uh, who ran against Blatter in the last election was defeated by him uh, gave one of the least impressive political speeches I've ever seen at the FIFA Congress where he he looked as though you know it was what are you doing do, do you not want to you, you don't want to win this election yeah, clearly yeah. you know um, maybe that passes muster I don't know he is a prince after all um, I suppose if you're a prince Maybe you get used to people. All you need to do is walk into a room and everyone seems mightily impressed with you. You know what I mean? You don't ever necessarily have to work on that thing. Maybe he got up there and figured that 
what Prince Ali, you know, once he's up on stage, everyone everyone is automatically going to be like, wow, this guy, you know, have you heard this guy's ideas? Uh, I think he maybe needs to do a bit more work on his presentation. Um, but he says uh, that Platini and uh, football's fans and players deserve better, a new independent leadership untainted by the practices of the past. Platini, uh, also there's a candidate from Liberia, Ability, uh, Platini will be chaos, division and problems. Um, it's just the Europeans, really, who seem to be supporting and Platini, uh, guys like Greg Dyke at the English FA, Stuart Regan, I'm sure John Delaney. Although, probably a little, at the same time, a little sad at the breakup of his creative partnership with Platini, which has uh, helped to shape UEFA. I mean, John Delaney took the initiative in the creation of the central uh, television, centralized TV funds, and also the diffused hosting of Euro 2020. Uh, and now that Platini goes off to FIFA. No, that's better again for Delaney. We we could tell from Delaney's interview with Ray Darcy, his famous, infamous interview with Ray Darcy, that the big reason he didn't like FIFA. He couldn't talk he to just could, You just can't talk to the guys. You, you come up with a suggestion, they don't want to hear about it. They don't even, they barely know who you are. <laughs> Whereas now, if he's got the top guy, if he's got a good friend. With the president of FIFA. The president of FIFA, maybe. This is the best way forward for Irish football. As long as Platini remembers his old friends. Ah, Platini strikes me as a... He's got a trustworthy face. (laughs) I mean, uh, you know, obviously Platini... um, There's a piece in Blizzard, which they were tweeting again today, by Philippe Clare from a couple of years ago, where he talks about Platini, uh, essentially Nicolas Sarkozy, and going to Platini and saying, you wouldn't mind throwing the Qataris a vote there, would you, in that World Cup thing? Because... We could potentially do a lot of business with Qatar over the the coming years, and I I really think they'd appreciate this vote, Um, which Platini supposedly accepts definitely did happen. And he did vote for them, but not necessarily because he was told to. It just so happened that it just so happened that a lot of things came together and were pointing in the same direction. But it wasn't as though he voted for Qatar just for that reason. You know what I mean? So this is the kind of guy Platini is. I mean, what has he actually achieved in his in his life as a football administrator, which has been a, um, you know, he's, he's, he's been doing it a long time. I mean, Philippe, for instance, mentions, uh, he says, when Platini kind of boasting about, well, you know, when I organized the 98 World Cup, and Philippe says, poor old Ferdinand Sastre, the uh, French football administrator who worked all his life to bring the World Cup to France, and was unlucky enough to die three days after the opening ceremony of the 1998 World Cup. So he never got to see France actually win the World Cup that he had worked for years to bring there. But now Patini is sort of, well, you know, I suppose he could have said when when me and others organized that World Cup, but, you know, it would have maybe it would have made the sentence long. It would have made the sentence long and clunky. People mm. might have started to lose interest. You know what I mean? So it was, pro- it was probably just a shorthand. Patini conceived of... The World Cup originally, didn't he? Back in inventing the World Cup yeah. in oh, 1930. That was Jules Rimet. That God. was Jules Rimet, a, uh, a compatriot, a compatriot of Platini. Back when I conceived of the World Cup, <laughs> but Stuart <laughs> Regan, the, the Scottish Football Association chief executive, he describes. This is what he says about in in the course of a glowing write-up of Platini. He says he's developed the financial revenue streams for football and has led the way, led from the top. He's allowed every national association to have a voice. He consults and engages with chief executives and presidents. That's been a breath of fresh air. He listens. He's very innovative and creative. So, um, 
developing the revenue streams mm. is seems to be the main thing there. Getting more money for football. Of course, this is against the backdrop of constantly rising income for football everywhere across Europe. You know what I mean? Mm. So is it really that amazing that the president of UEFA has also managed to obtain, you know, more money for football? You know, there's money been flowing into the game as a result of these big global processes, these technological processes, and Platini sitting there claiming credit for increasing the income stream. Everyone's getting more money. You know, every all you have to do is be running some kind of a football institution, and your income is way bigger than it was uh, a few years ago. With the with the exception of the FAI, I suppose. But you know, there is there have been special you know you know main special uh, special factors there with the FAI. Mm-hmm. But everybody else has been has been doing really well. So you know, I don't know is is it that is it that really that impressive an achievement? There is a a, a serious money man in this race, who is Chung Mong Jun of South Korea. Now, he's a major shareholder of Hyundai, so he's a billionaire. Yep. Um, and uh, in the manner of, of some of these billionaires, Michael Bloomberg sometimes says this kind of thing, and it's the reason also why the president of Singapore or the prime minister of Singapore gets paid so much money. They get paid a stupendous amount of money, and the idea is that, well, they're going to be so rich that it will be impossible to corrupt them. They will be beyond corruption. And he seems to be sort of making a similar argument for his candidacy look i'm a billionaire he's like uh, if i get elected my job is not to enjoy the luxury of the office um uh, which he's seems to be suggesting what bladder definitely did and patini probably would this is what uh, he seems to say. It'll be very difficult for Mr. Patini to have any meaningful re- reforms. He enjoys institutional support from the current structure of FIFA. He's very much a product of the current system. Um, so uh, he says uh, he's complaining about the idea of FIFA having a, a European leadership. It's time FIFA had a non-European leadership, which is ironic enough, I suppose, given that FIFA hasn't really had a European leadership since 1974. Sepp Blatter is Swiss. But that doesn't mean that he was really acting for Europe. No, and even if he was at first, which I don't, I don't think he ever was, he has certainly moved away from that in the last four four to five years, maybe even five to ten years of his reign. Definitely. I mean, he's essentially taken up arms against the FA in particular yeah. and the and UEFA more generally. The political centre of gravity of FIFA is, has not been within Europe since before 1974. Um, so maybe Chung Mong Jun doesn't know that. Maybe he hasn't studied it that carefully. Uh, or maybe he just assumes that if you're from a particular continent, you're acting for that continent. Uh, I hope not, because if he wins, then it sounds like he might be acting against Europe, which is where we currently are at this moment. Alan. One more story? Um, yeah, actually, there is. Um, thanks to the Daily Mail for bringing us this story. Go on. It's uh, It involves Lee Boyer. Owen? I haven't heard from him for a while. We mentioned him a few weeks ago. Oh, did we? We were talking about uh, trying to find a comparison player for the young Bastien Schweinsteiger. For some reason, Lee Boyer came into my head. And I realised it's so silly to compare Bastien Schweinsteiger to Lee Boyer, given that Boyer is such a minor figure mm-hmm. in football compared to Schweinsteiger. Um, it doesn't make any sense. But Boyer uh, pops up again in I, what I can only conclude is some kind of advertorial for his... Uh, his new business venture, which is a fishing lake in France. 
Um, it turns out that uh, posing serenely, I'm just going to read you the, the first sentence. Yep. Posing serenely in front of a fishing lake in France's Champagne region, Lee Boyer can reflect that he hasn't done too badly for a boy from Canning Town, once rejected by Arsenal for being too small. <laughs> so he's got all these carp in the lake, uh, and apparently he can come and, and uh, fish for the, I guess he can pay Boyer and fish his carp. This is kind of like a a low, um, kind of a lo-fi version of what the dentist was doing in Zimbabwe. You know what I mean? Uh, where you can pay, he was paying 50 grand to have them bring out a lion that he could shoot with a bow and arrow. Yeah, one of the most disgusting stories I've heard of recently. It's a pretty, it's got a lot going on, that story. You know, this weirdo, sadistic dentist with his urge to kill using a bow and arrow. A bow and arrow! Because I suppose he thinks the bow and arrow is authentic, but actually it's like, the bow and arrow is like an assault rifle. Seriously, authentic kill there, buddy. Just drag drag the wild animal out in front of me so I can dispatch it with my 21st century yeah. weapon. Um, yeah, and then then let's get together and mutilate its corpse. Isn't that, yeah, that's what they ended up doing. So, I don't know, I guess you could do a similar thing in Lee Boyer's Lake, although it's, it's, it's more of a, you know, you can fish for carp there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's slightly it's, more, uh, you know, um, standard fare. The, uh, he says he's been fishing for a long time. It's always calmed him. His record catch is a 74-pound carp. Um, Sounds big. Uh, he complained a little bit as well about the way in which people just have their preconceived ideas about him. Lee Boyer. Do we have them anymore? I'm sure we all had preconceived ideas about Lee Boyer when we thought about Lee Boyer. Yeah, I mean, there was that there was that court case uh, yep. he was involved in, which, of course, wasn't he acquitted at the end or did he get community service? I can't remember. I'll, I'll check it out as you, as you go there. Um, he, uh, <laughs> but he did also fight his teammate, Karen Dyer, I remember. For Newcastle, yeah. Not many players end up doing that. I mean, who are the guys? Have, did Tim Sherwood and David Batty do that one time? Um, Stephen McManaman and Bruce Grobbler fought. Uh, his teammates Roy Keane obviously gave Phil Neville a bit of a shove on occasion but I wouldn't I'd hesitate to describe it as a full on a full on fight um, but he did also have the record uh, for yellow cards in the Premier League for quite a long time Gareth Barry recently took it off him, but Gareth Barry's played quite a few more games than him so uh, I don't know if necessarily it's, if, if it's that much of a preconception or simply a reflection based on years of watching Lee Boyer play and, uh, and behave. Boyer was acquitted of committing grievous bodily harm. He was acquitted full stop. Jonathan Woodgate was acquitted of that crime but was found guilty of a fray. Woodgate was found guilty of that one. So just to wrap up that case from about 15 years ago now. Yeah. That's the end of Ken Early's Report on Sport. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. On sight. That's where I was close from. On sight. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do I give a fuck? Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Jonathan Wilson is ready to talk to us about 
I don't know if we've mentioned Angel Di Maria yet today, Jonathan, but the latest on him is that he's going to be going to Paris Saint-Germain, it seems almost certain. But Louis van Gaal now is saying that he he doesn't even know where the player is. It's a slightly strange situation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm slightly sceptical of the, whether he, he doesn't know where he is, but um, there's clearly a bit of an issue there as, as the... Um, the, the you know the uh, final details of of his move are, are hammered out, but I mean I, I think the yeah, it's pretty clear that he is moving to PSG. But what this does do, I, I think, um, yeah, there was a lot of a general sort of sympathy for um, for Di Maria over the way he left Real Madrid, and Real Madrid always said you know it was largely the agent sort of haggling for a larger fee, uh, and maybe maybe the conduct over over transfer this summer suggests that the agent is you know, uh, a disruptive influence. The agent is George Mendes, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of too many people describing him as a disruptive influence. I mean, um, he's enriched a lot of his clients. And I suppose, um, you know, if you think of someone like Falcao as someone who hasn't necessarily maybe followed the best possible career path in terms of <clears throat> playing for the best teams he maybe could have played for. But disruptive influence isn't something I've heard said about him too many times. What do you mean by it? Well, I think there was a perception last summer that um, that the reason De Maria was got rid of uh, was that it was perceived that he didn't have um, the sort of profile to, to gain huge image rights, uh, and that James Rodriguez, who, who essentially replaced him in the squad, was more marketable. Um, and so, I, I guess you, you then compute that into what that means in terms of, of the contract, in terms of wages, and the the sense was that the the amount that, that Mendes and De Maria were asking for was beyond what he was worth to Real Madrid, not necessarily as a footballer, but as as a package of footballer plus image rights. And I, you know, I, I think any sort of traditionalist in football, anybody who values football above all the periphery, um, it, it feels uncomfortable about that, and and your tendency is to have a sympathy with the player. Whatever's happened at Manchester United, which seems very very strange to me, the whole business. Um, the, you know, the, there's clearly been a, uh, a willingness on part of player and agent to, to, to try and get out of there as, as quickly as possible. When you say the whole business seems strange, do you mean just the way the transfer is being conducted or the season that he actually had on the field at United? No, this, the season he, he had, I mean, yeah, if he turned up and had really struggled from the start... Then okay, you know, a player adapting to a new league, a player adapting to a new culture, somewhere where he doesn't speak the language. I, I accept that happens, and, and that it can be difficult for a player to to settle. But you know, when he turned up the first couple of months, he he played really well. I mean, I think if you look at the first ten games he he, he played, um, you, you he's arguably United's best attacking player in those ten first ten games. Then he got injured, was out for sort of you know two months. During that two month period, there was the burglary at his home when. Supposedly, um, you know, masked figures carrying scaffolding poles smashed the windows and terrified his wife and family. So you know, he he moved them out to a hotel, and he he then you know just never never got back into playing well. It was uh, you know the, the, I think it was seventeen more games he played for United and, and possibly played well in in two of them. Um, so you know, he sort of did it in reverse. The player's meant to turn up, find it hard to settle, and then it'll click. Whereas this seemed to be a player turned up, played really well, something clicked, and he, he unsettled. Um, now, whether that is just a combination of injury and burglary, 
I, I don't know. But there's also these weird suggestions that the burglary incident isn't as clear-cut as it seems, that things have been exaggerated, that it was a useful tool for, for a player looking for a move. Now, I've got no idea whether that's true or not. That, mm. that, you know, that might just be rumour-mongering. It might be the, 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 the club briefing in certain areas. But the, you know, there's something very strange about, about that whole business, that, the, that he, his season's gone in reverse. And then he, at the Copa America where he yeah. played very, very well until getting injured in the final. And you know, certainly I think you'd say the, the quarterfinal and the semifinal, he played exceptionally. Um, the, the Argentinian backroom staff, they, they said that uh, he'd been ruined. And that was the word they used. He'd, he'd been ruined by Louis van Gaal. But then you know, they wouldn't expand on whether they meant physically or, or so psychologically. Now, that's the kind of thing that sounds, though, probably was told to them by Angel Di Maria. Um, I just can't really work out where what, what the what the case is there. I mean, uh, has there been any? Has there been something particularly? Um, you know, so when when you look at how Van Hal has used him tactically, has there been some big problem with that? Because I mean, I don't see it um, psychologically speaking. We we know that Louis Van Hal has a big ego and can sometimes say nasty things to people. Uh, on the other hand, it, it's, <laughs> does Di not feel some kind of sense of responsibility not to embarrass himself with bad performances when he steps out in the football field? He's the record signing in the history of English football. It's incumbent upon him to uh, to get out there and, and show that he's worth it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I say it's, it seems very odd. It's very, it's very hard to, to grasp exactly what's going on. Uh, I mean, I, I guess the the implication is that when... When he was having this difficult period, that two months when he was injured, when when the burglary happened, maybe he felt Van Hal didn't support him as as he would have wished to be supported, uh, and that certainly would would seem to fit with Van Hal's makeup. That you know, Van Hal, I think, probably doesn't really care that much beyond how the player's playing. Uh, from a tactical point of view, I think Dimery was used in in seven different positions by United last season. But yeah, part of part of his strength as a player is that he is tactically, I think, very intelligent. That he is. Uh, capable and willing to play in different positions, and certainly you saw at Real Madrid, he, he seemed to have no problems with with dropping back from being a left winger to being a left sided midfielder, essentially doing Ronaldo's running for him. Um, th- th- that seemed to be one of his great strengths. So there was a sort of humility there. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I'm 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 not yeah. People who want to attack Van Gaal, and there are plenty of them about, would uh, would say, oh, that using him in seven different positions is not fair. You know, he's got to find you know a settled role for him. But historically, that's been one of Di Maria's strengths, that he can fit in different positions. And for instance, the, the game against Arsenal, the, the game at the Emirates, which I think was the, the last game before he got injured. Maybe it was, yeah, I think it was the last game before. Yeah, I think he got injured the game after that. And he played effectively as a centre-forward in that game. It was a bit like um, how Ian Robin had been used at the World Cup. That he, he, you know, he, he played as this sort of quick-running player just off, just off the centre-forward, so you know, as a, a second strike, I guess, maybe, rather than the centre-forward. And I, I thought he, he did that incredibly well, even though that's a position that we're, we're not used to seeing him in. So I think the idea that he, he wasn't used tactically correctly, I'm not sure there is a tactically correct way to use him. I think you know, one of his great assets is that he is flexible. The, I've kind of gotten the sense that the media in general has been ready to embrace Van Hal as soon as he took over at Manchester United. Everyone was ready for for this big character to come in and take over the club. And amazing things are being written about him, helped by the World Cup performance that kept his name current uh, when he came into the job. Since then, I mean, he's done fine for, uh, but with the money that he's been spending, 
I would have thought the jury is still out. It seems almost accepted that he is the man for the job and that he has done unbelievably well. The fact he got nothing out of Van Persie and the fact that he has gotten very little out of Di Maria, is that um, possibly one of the one or two in the debit column for Van Hal at United? Yeah, I think it probably is. But you, I guess you, you um, in the credit column, he suddenly turned Ashley Young into a good player again. He suddenly turned Moen Fellaini into a good player again. He turned Chris Smalling into a player who could pass, which I don't think anybody thought he was. So... Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes, they are debits, but there's also credits. And uh, but you're right. I think the jury is still out. The last season was uh, it wasn't disastrous, but it, it wasn't brilliant. I think particularly where the season ended, there was a, a sort of sense of anticlimax that they had those those uh, four or five good games in a row, uh, which which ended with the defeat at, um, at Chelsea. And they, you know, they seemed very reliant on Michael Carrick, which is I think probably not a healthy position to be in when he's 33 and injury prone. Um, and then of course the the uh, the, the 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 pressure the margin for failure is is the pressure's ramped up the margin for failure is made that much smaller by the amount of money that's been spent which I, I think is something two hundred fifty million net over the last last three years um, so so yeah it's it's got to work this season and that doesn't necessarily mean I don't think that he has to win the Premier League or the Champions League but it means he can't be more than sort of five or six points off and there's got to be a proper challenge if by you know October November United are somehow eight points adrift or something then I think that pressure becomes quite intense. Uh, Manchester United haven't had much luck with Argentinian players. Juan Veron uh, was a bit of a disaster. Uh, Gabriel Ainsa ended badly. Uh, same goes for Carlos Tevez. And maybe also for Angel Di Maria. So uh, it's not a great record. Um, do you foresee their new Argentinian goalkeeper, Sergio Romero, um, making that record look any better? Um, I think it's a little bit... Uh, I mean, the, 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 yes, you're clearly right about Veron and, and Demaria. I think Tevez, uh, there's a, you know, there's a huge amount of complication there in terms of a third party ownership. And yeah, well, to be honest, I think Tevez actually did very well for them. It was a terrible mistake by I Alex Ferguson early on. Yeah, Heinz, Heinz ended up wanting to see the problem is how it ended. Heinz ended up wanting to join Liverpool. Uh, and Tevez ended up holding up a sign saying "R.I.P. Fergie." <laughs> I don't know if he knew what he was doing. And he, you know, he joined Man City, played really well for them. But you know, he, okay, he did play well. It was, I think, it was a mistake by Ferguson to replace Tevez with Berbatov. You know, his his almost football opposite. But you know, uh, it's more of it's 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 not a great point, really, to be honest. That I made, John. It's just all these Argentine players have ended up being unpopular figures. Uh, what about Sergio Romero? Well, Romero, I think, is. Um... I think he's uh, you know he's a good signing for the situation in which United find themselves um in that nobody seems to know quite what's going on with De Gea uh and Romero is a player who he's clearly a decent goalkeeper without being a, a fantastic goalkeeper I mean yeah perfectly good for Argentina perfectly good in Copa America didn't didn't do much wrong made a couple of very good saves Van Hals worked with him before at, at, at Alkmaar clearly sort of you know rates and respects him but at the same time Romero's quite happy to sit on the bench apparently that's what he's done for most of his career so in signing Romero what they've done is they've, they've got themselves cover for, for De Gea if De Gea stays um, or they've got themselves a replacement if he leaves in you know a short term replacement if he leaves and somebody who won't be that unhappy if they then bring in a you know a higher calibre goalkeeper further down the line so I think just as a as a way of strengthening their position Given the uncertainty around De Gea, I think it's it's a move that makes a lot of sense. He's he's a perfectly decent keeper without being a brilliant keeper. All right, Jonathan, I'm sure you're watching the cricket there. We'll let you get back to it. Thanks a million. Cheers, thanks. Nice reference, Ken. I'd completely forgotten about that R.I.P. Fergie 
banner that Tevez was. We should we should mention that wasn't at the end of his Man United career. He was playing for Man City by this stage. He's yeah. celebrating. Was it their FA Cup win? Was it the f- first title? Was it the title? I think it was the title. It would have been the title maybe. And he's got this. Presumably he was just handed to him. But he's, <laughs> if he was at home scrawling this, it's actually quite um quite nicely done. This person has a little bit of talent. It's not. It's there's a little cross on top. It's not too. You know the way you would imagine this might be full gravestone in the background. It's not too morbid like that. But it does have a little cross on top and then a very neatly done. R.I.P. Fergie with a few shoots of grass underneath so presumably you're kind of seeing where Fergie's that's coffin his, has been lowered into the ground that's his grave there yeah and yeah. I mean Temes so <laughs> Temes pretty is holding it up with such relish <laughs> yeah. on his face so maybe he actually does know maybe he does know what he's doing well there's there. a headline attached to this I, did, I do not apologise for holding Fergie Banner it says here the Sky Blues offered a quick response to the incident anyway Carlos Tevez insists he will not personally apologise to Alex Ferguson uh City did say that he made a significant error, but Tevez issued a general apology for his involvement, uh, but has hit out at his former manager, according to his story again from that from that time. So I don't know if Tevez massively regrets holding up that banner. I don't think he does. I just don't think Tevez is the kind of uh, guy to to apologise about things in general. You know, no. even if he felt that he, even if he, looking back, he kind of thought felt a bit strange about something and. You know, it began to occur to him that maybe he had done something wrong. It just takes time, though, doesn't it? He just wouldn't apologise. I was listening to a Dustin Hoffman interview, Ken, on the Alec Baldwin podcast. Oh, yeah? Yeah. He's interviewing Dustin Hoffman uh, about a movie that he was in, say, 40 years ago or whatever. And he's like, what was it like to work on? I mean, what, that director, legendary director? And he's like, yeah, it was a nightmare. Didn't we didn't get on? He didn't didn't really like me getting involved in any of the chats around, you know, what we should actually do. Uh, just just didn't work at all. And as the conversation went on, it appeared, it, it gradually became clear that the director had been correct on pretty much all the points that they had been disagreeing on. You know, he had told me to do a certain thing and it turned out he was right. Eventually Alec Baldwin goes, it seems like you're quite you know, forgiving or you're, you're, you're very conciliatory and you're able to admit you're wrong. And he said, oh yeah, I mean, I often admit I'm wrong about things that happened 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, so maybe Tevez in, is, in his dotage might come back and say, oh, actually, I'm gonna, uh, I, I should have apologised Alex Ferguson. You know, Alex Ferguson was a father figure to me, but... Um... 40 years ago. Maybe, maybe that's the way it's going to go. I don't know. It's uh, often the way it usually goes. That's the end of this podcast. Do have a listen to the other show we put out today. Uh, lots of good stuff in that one. Particularly, I enjoyed Rowan Connolly. Rowan writes for The Age in Melbourne. We speak to him regularly about, uh, about well, as we have spoken to him over the years a good few times, about uh, issues in the country and about some of the international rules games. But what we talked about this time was a massive story that's happening in Australia at the moment. Adam Goods, one of the greatest sportsmen that they have, uh, one of the top AFL players. He's been named Player of the Year on a couple of occasions, but he is close to retirement, it seems, because essentially he's being hounded out of the game. He certainly feels, and his supporters feel, uh, based on his uh, being Aboriginal, based on him sticking up and for uh, Aboriginal uh, people and for highlighting issues around that. There's quite a lot going on with this story. I thought Rowan explained it really well, though, and it's something that's really dividing Australia at the moment. So have a listen to that if you get a chance. Do rate any of our podcasts, comment on them on iTunes. That all that all helps. In the meantime, thanks very much for listening to this one. We're not too far from the start of the Premier League season, Ken. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Owen. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 